0: They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places, you'll meet their friendly faces. And a ready hand
1: besides, and there's not much danger
0: of finding you're a stranger. For a commissioner or ranger, they are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding
1: podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. Grab your paddles and get ready for adventure because in this episode we're talking about canoe trips. So Taryn gives us the inside scoop on the paddling pastime and shares some of her favorite canoe trip memories. Yep.
0: And we're also going to learn about Girl Scout and retired Rear Admiral Barbara McGain, who was celebrated for a long and notable career in the Navy.
1: And lastly, we'll finish the episode with a campfire song that is very Canadian and also happens to be a very good canoe trip song. Yes.
0: Um, So... I don't know about you, Marissa, but I've been like I've gone canoeing and everything for as long as I can remember, especially at like summer camps. I'm assuming you would have, you know, done the
1: same thing. Um, I will say mine is limited. We did do some paddling in Pathfinders, um some canoeing, but it was like on the the first time it was on a very, very tiny little like pond <laughs> just to get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then that the year after was again at a camp. Uh, a spring weekend camp, but this time we went to uh Kelso conservation area, so they have a really big lake yeah. that is good for paddling. Um, but besides that, I didn't actually get to do a ton. Um, never had leaders who were necessarily canoeing. Um, the reason I got to go when I was in Pathfinders was because of Tina, right? So she mm-hmm. had that experience and, was, and so did Carolyn. Um, and we were able to rent canoes somehow, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but, uh, yeah, I wish I, I wish I could have done more, I would have liked to, I remember when we were signing up for summer camps at Kuwait, and I think there was the option to do a canoe, like, two-week canoe, but it, because they were so, they were a two-week thing, um, mm-hmm. we couldn't afford it, so it was like, oh, I can't do that one, but, like, would have, like, loved to have done it.
0: Yeah, I, like, my first experience canoeing was, like, Summer day camps with the town of Markham. And one of the day camps we went, or I went to, um, backed onto the Rouge River, which is kind of like the Grand River. It's, you know, a major mm. waterway that runs through town. Um, so this camp, like, had a property line on the river. So we would um, take advantage of that and go canoeing um, on that. And it was, like, a super gross, polluted little. River, um, but, like, I fell in love almost right away, and then when I was a little bit older and started, like, doing sleepaway camp, um, in Doe Lake, uh, definitely got more and more involved in it, um, and then did my first trip, um, it was a little three-day trip, uh, with Girl Guides through Doe Lake, um, when I was... I wrote down eleven or twelve. I'm thinking about it now. I think I might have been thirteen, um, so <laughs> pretty young. Um, I'm pretty sure I had to be, must have been thirteen because it was a Pathfinder like camp
1: level. So it's probably. I think a lot of those camps too. And now, yeah, now that you say that, I think they were also just offered to Pathfinder Ranger age, and maybe that was another reason why I didn't go on those ones. I can't remember. Yeah,
0: it definitely but. takes. A little bit more of a mature kid to go on a canoe
1: trip and be a yeah. little bit... and they're also, like, draining physically if you're not used to that, too, because you have to carry your canoe and you're paddling for a long time, like, throughout the day. And yeah. So, like, I can see that, you know, why they would do that. You wouldn't want guides, necessarily, unless they were third year. Maybe if they were mm-hmm. mature enough in third year, they would let them, but... Uh... Yeah,
0: um, but the first trip I did was, like, a two-night little uh, trip. To one of the Doe Lake, oh, or one of the Doe Lake Islands, because they own two. Um, and we stayed there and did some paddling and had a ton of fun. I just fell in love with it. Like, I've been on a canoe trip pretty much every year since then. Um, definitely had some great times. Definitely had some challenging times. <laughs> oh, one of the things, like, one of the first memories I have, um is one of my canoe trips, I think it was the 10-day canoe trip I did through Doe Lake, Um, I fell and twisted my ankle. Uh. Yeah, which, you know, is bad enough like walking through the city and you fall and you twist your ankle and like you kind of limp along. Mm -hmm. It was day five of a 10-day canoe trip. Um, Definitely not much of an option, especially for just a sprain um, to suck it up and keep going. If it was something serious, we would have, you know, made sure I got out, but it wasn't. Um, but I was doing a portage, so I had, I didn't have a canoe, luckily, I just had one of our packs. But I, um, fell and twisted my ankle, and I was the second last person in our group doing that, um, go through the portage. And the person behind me had lost, hadn't lost her whistle. Her whistle had fallen off, and I grabbed it. So I had her whistle. So she had to yell at the top of her lungs to get our leader's attention um, to come and help me. Um, And, like, I had passed out. Like, I don't remember any of this. Until they rolled me over. Um, and, like, I was rolled, like, they were rolling me over onto my side when I came around. Um gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'm sure the leaders were petrified. Um, but I was, like, I came to, I was fine. Uh, my ankle hurt a lot. (laughs) Um, but, you know, I got to the end of the portage. I got to the campsite that night and just had, like, a quiet, chill night. But, yeah, it was definitely a scary moment. Um, luckily, I was fine.
1: Yeah, um, I can't imagine being the leaders and, like, thinking, like, something worse has happened to you, like, if you passed out. But
0: yeah, especially, like, it was painful. the summer camp, so, like, yeah. the leaders were,
1: you know, in their 20s. They were... Ah, so they were, like, our age. Yeah. I, after. I can see that. I mean, the trip that I took last summer was sort of like that we were three at least yeah three of us were in our 20s into mm-hmm. late 20s and yeah it's it's not a thing that you want to have to deal with especially thinking my first thought would be if I found a girl like that on the trip I would be thinking like we're smacked up in the middle of this trip how are we gonna get her back like <laughs> yeah I hope it's nothing serious but um oh yeah I've also I've rolled on my ankle several times playing soccer mm-hmm. and I remember this one time being so painful Um, and I can't imagine actually having to, like, continue on it, on something like that, on, like, a hike or a portage, like, like, trying to grin and bear it, basically, so that the rest of the group can, like, keep going, but, yeah, oh, that would have been painful.
0: Luckily for canoe trips, other than portages, you weren't doing a lot of, you know, walking around. That's good. And, you know, whenever my ankle got too sore, I just stick it over the side of the canoe and put it in the cold water to kind of help... Like Ice swelling and stuff, yeah. So, that was interesting. For some reason, I decided to keep canoeing after that. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of my other, like, most memorable stories. There was the one time I accidentally dumped Tina, which I think I've shared on the podcast yes. before. <laughs> um, we were unloading all of our gear for a portage, and... There was, I don't know, some miscommunication or mis-body language cure or something, yeah. and Tina went to go stand up and I wasn't quite paying enough attention and accidentally dumped her. Luckily, the only thing that got wet was Tina. All of our <laughs> stuff was already out of the canoe, um, so it wasn't too bad. Um, and she still teases me about it to this day. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to hear about it once or twice. Um, on the canoe trip we're going on this week or next week
1: um, I always do but yeah it comes up right it comes you up. think of it and it just gets retold to everybody <laughs> yep it's
0: not as bad as some of the other accidents we've had on canoe trips Tina where we had a, it was as I was a leader so it wasn't that long ago um maybe 7-8 years ago so I guess becoming a while ago um we were doing a trip with a couple of girls and um we were doing the same portage that I dumped Tina on just a few years afterwards um and there was a girl who was fixing her hair while walking because you know as you're doing physical activity if your hair is up in a ponytail or something it you know will come loose and get in your way you just need to put it back up so she was redoing her ponytail, and so wasn't really paying attention to, you know, the slippery rock <sighs> ahead of her, and she slipped and bruised her shoulder <laughs> oh. to the point where she couldn't paddle anymore.
1: Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Again, she was fine. We um, ended up having to stay on that next site we were going to for an extra night and then paddled out in the morning. Um, and she was able to make it all the way back to Markham, and we uh, brought her to the urgent care clinic, and that's where her mom met her, and she, like, she was fine. Um, she was always a klutz. She still is a klutz. (laughs) Yep, so definitely something we tease her about. Um, make sure we have bubble wrap around when we, whenever she comes on activities with us.
1: I think um, with things like that, too, sometimes the girls are just more freaked out than, like, it's the adrenaline rush. It's also, like, you you are just imagining the worst. You're thinking, I'm in so much pain. I just I can't do this. And, you like, you just want the comfort of when you're injured yeah. or sick or anything like that. I can definitely relate to dealing with girls who, you know, feel that way. It's hard to get them distracted. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, she was a good girl and, like, super mature about it and other than the pain was you know super okay she just was in a lot of pain um and then one other like most memorable story um is two summers ago when the uk girls were here was that two years ago i think so it feels like it was forever ago but i don't think it was that long ago
1: I don't think it was more than two years. It was either last year or the year before. It wasn't years. last year, so it must have been the year no. before. Oh, it must have been two years.
0: Yeah, so um, when we had a group of 30 girls from New York, something like that, it was a lot of girls, um, they had heard about canoe trips in Algonquin Park
1: and <laughs> wanted to go. I uh, thought, I'm going to step in and say, I thought that was really... Um, Adventurous of them just because I saw the itinerary before. Because we were as a local unit invited to go on some of these things as day trips, and I thought mm-hmm. that there was a canoe trip to Algonquin. And I was like, first of all, Algonquin, like that's you're roughing it depending on how far you go in, yeah. Um, and secondly, like that's far up north, so you're dealing with the bugs that are not always down here or any critter really. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you're taking UK girls who are not used to the country, like, if it were me. On the other end, like, if I were going on a canoe trip in a different country, like, for that long, I would be like, yeah, you know, you'd have to be really prepared. For yeah,
0: anything. and it's definitely, like, they don't have lakes like we do in the UK.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Um, so the whole thing was a giant Avenger, but it was a ton of fun. The girls all, like, were able to get out and explore and try something new and exciting. Um, and on ours, we were up for three nights. Um, and the first night we got up, we got settled. Um, everyone, you know, figured everything out pretty well. Uh, the second night, yep. Yeah, so the third day, second night, um, we had gone out for a day paddle and a hike. Um, and, you know, we kind of tidied up our site, kind of half put away our food, because as you know, especially, you know, when camping, you don't leave your food out just anywhere, especially in, like, Canada, who knows what creatures, you know, squirrels and chipmunks, um we'll try Raccoons and keep your are food the worst
1: down here.
0: Yeah. Um so we kind of we squirrel-proofed our food. So we just kind of put everything away but didn't tie anything up. Um and as we were paddling from our site towards our hike, we see a black bear. Uh, yep. Yep. I've been doing canoe trips uh. since I was 13 or so. I've never seen a bear. Um So we saw a bear and kind of all the Canadian leaders looked around and were like, we didn't really secure our food all that great. Like, is the bear going to find all of our food for 40 some odd people for the next two days? Um, (laughs) If they do, we're screwed. Um, but like we didn't want to freak out with the UK girls, so we just, you know, kind of paddled along, pointed the bear out to the girls. They, you know, thought it was super cool. Went on a hike, um, got back, paddled back, and the bear was still there. We're like, Okay, good. Oh no. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, the bear just, you know, found a nice blueberry bush or whatever and was chillin'. Um, and Tina sent me ahead. I was like, so without any of the UK girls, go ahead and make sure the bear is not on our site and didn't eat our food. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. Yeah. So luckily all of our food was still where we left it uh, and the bear didn't, you know, find it or eat it. Um, And then that, or the next night we got to our last site And, um, we were setting up camp and, you know, looking around the site and I find a spot for a tent and I was like, okay, this is a nice spot, um, and look up and there was some nice big bear territory markings on the tree, some nice scratch marks. Ah. I was like, so I'm going to sleep under this tree with me and the other Canadian leader and the UK leader assigned to my group because I don't want the girls sleeping under the bear markings. (laughs) And that night, like, it stormed. It was just, like, it was a gross, rainy summer night, Um, and we just heard the rain going all night, Um, and we eventually get up. There was nowhere for us to bring our canoes up onto land, so we just tied them off and let them float in the water. Our canoes were, like, half full of water. (laughs) It was so much fun. Um, And then, so we get going. We paddle back to where the cars were, get all the cars packed up, and go to drive out um, along this um, dirt, gravelly road to um back to municipal or local roads that were paved and it's probably like it's a, a old loggy road so not the best mm-hmm. maintained um and like it's a good hour long drive along this road um so we get not too far out and the roads washed out from the rain from the night before <laughs> uh-huh. um and it was probably like 10 meters across, and, like, getting worse, and, like, we're just looking at the door, like, so, the UK girls were in, like, 15-seater white panel vans, I was in my personal car, um, (laughs) yeah, and we kind of looked at it, and we're like, oh, we aren't quite sure what to do, so we call her out and they're like, yeah, we know we've been in contact with park rangers. They're going like they won't have someone up there, but we don't know how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sent back to our like to where the cars were parked in the parking lot. I'm like told to dry out the tents as best as I can, as fast as I can, because we might be staying for another night if they can't get the <laughs> rental vans across the washed out road. Eventually, the water went down a little bit, and the, our outfitter came by and helped us across the river. Um, and then came, <laughs> so he helped the vans across, and they got going and were on their way. And then came like all the way down to find me, and he's like, "Yeah, you should be able to go." And I go and like we put the tent, pack up the tents, put the tents back in my car, and get it. And he's like, "Oh, that's your car." Not sure if you can make it, it's pretty little. Um, no, I was like, okay, "Okay." he's like, you should be okay as long as you don't stop.
1: Oh, no, I was
0: like, okay, well, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I want a shower, I just want to go home. Like, I had she was a leader, but like in university, so a young leader with me who I said I'd drive back and forth. I'm like, I don't want to be responsible for her, and, like, let's just get home.
1: hmm
0: And I had a girl with me, too. Ooh, oh, really? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, I had one of the Markham girls with me. Um, so we get in the car, we drive across this washed-out river. Um, my car gets through mostly unscathed. My horn <laughs> got a little flooded, but that's fine. Um, only to find out I had a flat tire. Oh, no. Yeah, but it was fine. I was able to get to a gas station and fill it up with air and got it patched when I got back to Markham. But it was definitely a canoe trip I'm never going to forget and definitely a canoe trip those UK girls will never forget. Like, it was a ton of fun. They did a lot of, like, learning and trying new things. And then, with the bear and the storm and the washed out road, (laughs) um, the fact that my horn still isn't right will always remind me, but, (laughs) yeah, Um, so I think those are my three biggest canoe stories. Yeah, so, canoeing is super easy to, like, get into and super accessible. I know, in Kitchener, we have Canoeing the Grand. Um, which runs out canoes and like helps facilitate, you know, short day trips and everything. Um, The provincial parks are never that far. um, So they're always there to go and like be able to get out and paddle. Every couple years, I know our unit um, will get together with some um, ORCA trainers. So ORCA is the Ontario Recreational Canoe and Kayak Association. Um, which does, um, canoe skills and, like, weekend courses on it. Um, and we've done those a ton of times, um, just to, you know, learn new skills, freshen up on old ones. Um, and those are always a fun weekend. And the girls who do them, do the orca weekends, like, they, I think they're the most fun those girls ever have at camp. Um. Mm-hmm because I don't know in my personal opinion camp is the most fun when you're enjoying yourself but also pushing yourself to like your very furthest limits um yeah and learning something and like at the end of it you're exhausted but feel like so empowered and so strong and those are definitely Orca weekends. They yeah. are some of the most physically weak like demanding weekends. Like, even to this day, I'll do. Um, (laughs) But they are also the most fun. Like, I don't think I laugh as hard at camp (laughs) as I do at Orca. And you're splashing around in water for two and a half days, which is also pretty fun.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say even just from a camp perspective, I haven't gotten to do any canoe camps. But um, in general, like, you... Even um, in the spring or not the spring the fall when you do your first camp when you've got new girls you mm-hmm. can see the transition throughout the weekend of how much they change in terms of like the things they've learned and how much you know fun they've had and the maturity level even a little bit like they've learned new responsibilities and it's like it's amazing just to see in one weekend sometimes how how quickly they change and um, so then I can't imagine like being on that canoe trip, or a canoe weekend, an orca weekend, like how much they change. And I mean, I saw photos of, I think it was last year's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how, how much they like were working hard and they were exhausted and, you know, they were told that it was going to be exhausting. So yeah. uh, they didn't have any excuses, but um, yeah, I think a lot of those girls, the girls who were at that weekend, um, you know, probably are the ones who really like enjoy guiding and get a lot out of it. And mm-hmm maybe from that and, like, are the most excited to do things because I think they realize, like, you can do anything and you can learn anything and it's, you know, it's fun to do it and sometimes it's exhausting, yeah. whether you're canoeing or you're going on a really long hike and you're backpacking, like, it's it can be really exciting. I mean, going on trips, too, you see the same sort of um, transformation in the girls. Mm-hmm. It's incredible and so worth it. So if you're thinking about going on a canoe trip or you're thinking about getting your orca um, once, you know, those courses are yeah. back in play. Um, highly recommend it. I know I want to do it. Um, I didn't do it the last couple of years because I just didn't have the money for it. Um, but would love to do it, I think, um, in the future, the next time you guys do it. I just maybe should get in shape before I do that because <laughs> I feel like I will not make it through the weekend if I don't you know, yeah. start training.
0: It's Honestly, I've never had a problem with it. But I started when I was a young teenager. Like I just had yeah. those muscles.
1: Um, I lack all of that. I lack cardio and muscle, like just all of it. I would have to prepare myself. I'm, you know, working at a desk. It's mm-hmm. you don't get out very often to do exercise as much as I should. But um, don't let shouldn't let that stop me. You should just prepare for it, <laughs> like a good girl guide would do.
0: Yeah. Hopefully we'll do another canoe camp next summer. Um, hopefully we'll have... We're going have a ton of interest this year. Then everything no. got cancelled anyways. Um, <laughs> but hopefully next year with a new group of girls we'll have you know a decent amount of interest mm-hmm. and we can do it again. I, like, it's always one of the most fun weekends I have as a leader because it also... And especially at canoe camps and canoe trips that um kind of line between like girl and leader we definitely blur that like it is a team effort to do everything um it's you know all or nothing um so it was like when I was a youth member when I was a girl it was always a chance for me to kind of see you know the other side of my leaders see them a little (laughs) less you know as, you know More that hidden. leader mom like figure um yeah. and i think girls see us that way when we like take a step up and do those things um it's a chance for us to be silly and like the fact that we're doing it you know it's one thing to just like go to a weekend camp it's another thing to a specialized weekend camp
1: um mm-hmm. And
0: yeah i think it gives girls a chance to see a different side of us
1: Yeah, Um, I know I get a lot of those kinds of things too, right? Like, so going on a a trip, um, so whether traveling internationally or not, like those kinds of things where you're like, you're going through these things together and you're learning things together that aren't your normal. um, mm -hmm. It's really nice to get on to that more like one-on-one level where they no longer see you as just like somebody who is a leader who they can't necessarily relate to to them having these shared experiences and like maybe having conversation that you wouldn't normally have at a meeting yeah. or a regular camp it's it's a much easier way to connect and then you feel a better like you've got this different sort of side of a relationship between leader and guide like it's totally different or leader and pathfinder leader mm-hmm. and
0: yeah it was so much fun I know, the last orca camp, um, I was still going through all my health issues from a couple summers, or last summer, and so I wasn't allowed to do a lot of it, um, I wasn't <laughs> allowed to go swimming, I wasn't allowed to get wet, I was, you know, pushing it in the little bit of canoeing I was, I did do, and, like, I still, like, I was right there at the water, and I was, like, they basically <laughs> had to hold me back from getting canoes and doing all these things. Um and even then, like I pushed myself too far and definitely had pay for it the next day. Um when I got back and realized how far I pushed myself. Um <laughs> but like I just couldn't help it. It was you know, I look forward to it every year and knew that was the only canoeing I was getting last summer. But this summer we're going on a trip, an leader or adult only trip, not through girl guides we just
1: all met through guiding um, yeah you're just friends going yeah. on a canoe trip no guiding associated with it <laughs> exactly yeah it's uh, exciting mm-hmm. canoe trips are exciting
0: definitely yeah i don't really have anything else unless you have
1: any questions marissa oh i should have thought of some um <laughs> Maybe that's something we can put out into the, I was going to say out into the universe, but like out to our listeners. Um, if you have any questions about things like doing a canoe trip or from my side, maybe traveling internationally, if you have questions, but like, should I do it? Like what has to go into like preparing a canoe trip or preparing an international trip? Um, I've actually never prepared an international trip. I've just gone on one that was arranged for me, but I have a lot of experience in terms of mm-hmm. what to expect, um. And, you know, how to prepare yourself. So, if you have any questions, send them to us and we can probably yeah. answer them. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think because I just know so much already about it. Yeah. I just haven't done it <laughs> uh, on, on a trip in terms. So, yeah. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Sort of mm-hmm. just say, if you've got questions, send them to us. And uh, Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get save the up we'll and one them.
0: day we'll do a Q&A episode. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to this week's She Was a Girl Guide, You Know.
1: Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, John Sauve, Carrie Fisher, Williams, Sister Shirley, Temple Black, Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Demi Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more, did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let this week, former girl guide or girl scout, I should say, is definitely no stranger to water. Um, although she didn't necessarily canoe that we know of. I mean she may have. Mm-hmm. Um, she was definitely near the water as she was a rear admiral in the Navy. Um, so her name is Barbara McGann. Um interesting to research her um i think sort of similar to the week of doing the fbi agent it was hard to get information on her i think because when they have that sort of military army or like federal background in terms of working for the government like you don't get a lot of personal information um so i have a lot of information about her career um but the one thing i could not get is her birthday. But um, what we do know is that she is a native of Newport, Rhode Island, and she's the daughter of Mr. John H. McGann and Rose McGann, who are both veterans of the World War II Naval Service, so that's really cool, um, and uh, I think it's interesting that the, they were both in the Navy, so they must have, I'm assuming they must have met that way if they were both in it. Um, you would assume. It's... Yeah. And I think the way that relationship probably worked is that it they knew so much about each other's jobs that it was just it made they made it work and they understood each other. I think that's one thing that probably would have made it easy. Um, but yeah, so she those were her parents. And um, I guess she must have grown up knowing what they did and sort of took an interest in it. She went to the College of Our Lady of the Elms where she earned a Bachelor of Arts in English and. Um, which, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily expected from what her career turned into. But mm-hmm. she was also commissioned through the Officer Candidate School in Newport, um, Rhode Island. And that was both done in March of 1970. Um, so she completed both of those that same year. Um, she also happens to hold a Master of Science in Business Administration from South Regina University and a Master of Arts degree in Foreign Affairs from Georgetown University. So she has quite a bit of a good background in terms of education. Yeah. Um, And she was pretty much immediately set up to, you know, get involved with the Navy. Mm -hmm. Um, Her very first duty station was the Naval Air Station in Meridian, Mississippi. And there she was the public affairs officer. So she was sort of more involved with the, I guess you could say the human resources or the, the, sort of more on the ground role as opposed to in the water. So that was her very first station. Um, in 1972, she then reported to Navy recruiting district in Los Angeles, where she served as an office recruiter for two years. So again, still sort of in terms of the job working with people, Mm -hmm. um, on the ground and recruiting, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and as I go along, you will notice a bit of a trend. Um, She seems to take on these different roles every two years, um, and she's Hmm. sent all over the United States. Um, So, sort of interesting to see where she goes.
0: I wonder Um, if that is, like, a military thing, or, like, just happened, be that was her career path, or if she wanted to kind of check out different responsibilities and had to go to different like, cities and, or not provinces, states.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was sort of thinking the same thing as I was doing the research. I thought, I wonder, yeah, like, is this something that she was wanting to do? She wanted to have a different, you know, change of pace, a change of environment every two years? Or is that just standard in maybe the Navy specifically that, you know, you hold these positions for two years and then you're off somewhere else to hold Mm -hmm. a different position just so that there's, you know, a good rotation? Um, in terms of the people holding those positions. um, Yeah. Would love love to know the answer to that. Um, And again, like the Navy in the United States probably works differently than the Navy here in Canada. Um, Who knows, like, Mm -hmm. what the differences are. Um, So, yeah, she did that for the two years. And then in 1974, she was assigned to headquarters of Navy Recruiting Command in Washington, D.C., as a assistant director in the plans and policy division. So similar to her last job, she was sort of in that office of recruiting. um, And she was maybe she was holding a higher position in terms of um, being an assistant director. Um, So that was probably a little bit of a, a step up for her. So again, held that for Actually, that one might have been for four years. I don't have a date for 1976. So it could be that she held that for four years instead of two. Because the next date is April 1978. um, And she was transferred to the Pentagon, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And she worked for the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Personnel Policy Division. So quite different. She was no longer necessarily working with just the Navy. She was now in the Pentagon and she was working with chiefs of staff. So sort of working again on that people side of things, the human side of, you know, personnel and policies and staff. Um, It's very interesting. Yep. So that was two years. And then in 19, from 1980 to 1982, she reported to the Navy Recruiting District in Iceland, New Jersey, where she served as the executive officer So you can see a trend of her being involved with the recruiting side of things. You know, never really strayed too far from that in those early years. Um, And then interestingly enough, in November 1983, she graduated from the Naval War College. Um, No specific indication on... what that means in terms of, like, what are you graduating with. Interestingly enough, um, she sort of had that little break in between her career and where she went back to college. And then from 1983 to 85, she served as a special assistant to the Secretary of the Navy for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. I think it's interesting that it's called Manpower. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if they've changed that since since then. Since the the 80s? I don't know. Um, I think it's interesting, um, but we won't get too, too much into <laughs> that. Yep, so that was the next step for her. after, And then from 1985 to 87, she served as the assignment officer at Navy Personnel Command. So now she was sort of dealing more with the assignments of the various people coming into the Navy and, you know, doing different jobs. Um, and then she was promoted to commander. Um and after which that she assumed command of the naval support activity in Holly Lock, Scotland, um, which is cool. So she got she changed countries. She got to yeah. all over Scotland, which is cool. Um, and that happened in June of 87. And during that time as well, she was also designated as a joint specialty officer. Um, so that must have been nice to uh, have a change of pace. I've always thought it would be cool to have a job that, you know, sort of lets you travel around a little bit. Um, yeah. Even like in a more stable capacity like that where you're like somewhere else for a year working and then, you know, maybe you come back and then I think that would be fun. I've always thought I love travel. So I find that interesting that she got to got to do that side of things. Mm hmm. Um, and then after two years in that command at that position, she was assigned to the office of the Chief of Naval Operations, where she served as head of the Middle East, Africa and South Asia Plans and Policy. Um, so took on more of an international role in that sense. Um, since she had, you know, had this experience in Scotland, now she was serving as this head. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then in September of 1990, she became the executive assistant to the commander of naval, Navy recruiting area eight in San Francisco, California. So she came back to the United States and, you know, these, all these positions are very wordy and like, like all these different words within them. And it's hard to know exactly what she was doing, but you can notice that I did say recruiting again. So (laughs) still very much involved in that. Yep. Um, And following that tour, she actually began to teach strategic studies as a fellow at the Naval War College in Newport. So she went back there um, after she was in San Francisco for a while. So um, sort of gotten to the teaching side of things. She clearly had a lot of experience. So no surprise in terms of, you know, getting to finally teach what she's all been learning. And then in June of 94, she assumed the rank of Rear Admiral, Um, In brackets, it said lower half. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Um, But it just meant that she assumed the duties of assistant chief of the naval personnel for total force programming and manpower. There's that word again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But still, again, um, dealing with naval personnel um, and, you know, the programming and where people were going and what they were doing. Um, and, yeah, make note that that was actually the first time she was She was then started to call Rear Admiral. That was the first time she got that rank. So before then, she was not Rear Admiral yet. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until 94 that she got that. And she became a commander again for the Navy Recruiting Command in September of 96. And then the following year, in July of 97, she was promoted to Rear Admiral Upper Half, assuming that's a step up. I'd assume so. so. That's kind of nice. Um, and then in 2000, um, she assumed duties as provost at the national at the sorry at the Naval War College. So there is another step up in a different area. So going from teaching to taking on the role of provost. Um, and then she retired from the Navy in 2002. So pretty long career from the 70s all the way to beginning of the 2000s yeah a long time to be working in that so even though she was retired she did still keep on working in terms of like doing stuff um she actually donated her uniforms and decorations to the artillery company of newport after retiring so sort of gave back in terms of that Mm -hmm. um And then she started to serve as the executive director of the American Red Cross for Rhode Island. Um, So still sort of, like, involved just in a different way, Um, no longer in a formal Navy um, position, but Mm -hmm. more as, like, involved with these charities. Yeah. Um, And then she starts to take um, some roles in dealing with school boards and education, which I think is interesting. So up until this point, she's had um, experience at the Naval War College, um, but now she's starting to get involved in schools within where she lives. Mm -hmm. So um, she began as an assistant superintendent of Boston Public Schools, um, and then she was also a CEO of Marlboro Public Schools. Um, which was in Massachusetts and then was an executive director of the advanced math and science Academy charter school in Marlboro as well. Um, And that position is really notable because she actually helped put the school on a solid fiscal ground. um, And she created a model for a successful next generation learning community with um, state-of-the-art technology for every classroom. So she got involved in terms of technology and making sure that these kids, you know, have the resources that could improve the outcomes of their education and, you know, really get them um, interested and prepared. Yeah. Um, And then she retired from that position at the end of 2010-2011 academic year. Which, um, interestingly enough, like there was a little bit of controversy over that as well because um, in 2008, in February, she suffered a stroke and was actually hospitalized. Oh no! Um, And there's, yeah, there's a little bit of controversy around this because it happened shortly after she announced her resignation um, as the school superintendent. um, And that actually coincidentally followed a um, unfavorable review by the school committee. So she had just, you know, the school committee had reviewed her. um, It was part of their sort of yearly review and had decided, you know, it wasn't, they weren't favorable in her review. And I guess that it could have been a factor in terms of what she was experiencing. um, But she had decided to resign. Right. And said, like, okay, well, they clearly don't favor me enough. They probably won't keep me on, so I'm going to resign. And then following that resignation, she suffered the stroke, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, It seems, though, that she recovered. And she had actually, though, sent a letter to a local newspaper speaking about this evaluation process that she had been a part of. um, And she said that, like, you know, it had been compromised. She had been undermined and, like, the process was corrupted Hmm. and that the members of the committee weren't actually following proper procedure um so she felt you know really annoyed at this, yeah at this review she had received from the committee because you know she thought they were cutting corners and like doing things that like you know were, wasn't right, um especially
0: coming from like a career per like military person current navy person
1: mm-hmm. um
0: like those uh people tend to you know be very um rule focused and oriented i guess um mm-hmm. so Having people, you know, kind of, you know, not look upon you favorably and then um, you feel like they, you know, weren't following the rules
1: um, must have been,
0: you know, a fairly big slight.
1: Yeah. And it's actually interesting you bring that up, too, because the article I was reading when I was doing this, um, they were talking about how... You know, at first when she was first superintendent, they were really excited about having her on and they thought she was a great person and like she would really, you know, do well. And then it seemed like over the years they weren't as, you know, maybe didn't turn out the way they thought it would or like, and they had just basically made a comment that, you know, you know, although she's a good person in terms of leadership and all this, she's, she doesn't have the educational background to be teaching and or like being holding that sort of that educational, um, background, um, In terms of like a public school, like, yes, she Mm -hmm. has naval war college teaching experience, but they felt that, you know, serving on a public school board or a school board in general, like, just wasn't quite the same. And they felt that they had better candidates. Yeah. In her stead.
0: Yeah. And, you know, teaching at, you know, a war college versus like public schools, very different group of people.
1: Yeah, and different things to, you know, keep in mind when you're looking out for the future and, you know, what to invest in. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, despite all that, it didn't seem to hurt her too much because um, in 2013, um, which was five years after that stroke, she was appointed the interim superintendent of the Portsmouth School District, which is in Rhode Island. Um, So she stayed in her home state. So, yeah, she was back on board. She was... um, you know, still doing well, and uh, to my knowledge, based on the little information I could get about her, um, it seems like she's still alive and still going, so I mean, there's no news otherwise. There was a little bit of confusion when I googled her name and looked for her biography, and it looked like there was possibly a death somewhere, but I, I don't think it was her, so I, I hope that she's she's um, like alive, she's doing well, and if not, you know, condolences and hope, you know, it, whatever it was, however, you know, she left, it was in you know, a way that wasn't too tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it in terms of the information I could get. Um, I'll just sort of finish off in terms of, you know, she had some achievements and quite a lot of decoration from the Navy. Um, so overall, she was one of the first women to achieve a two star rank in the United States Navy. Um, So she had also two Legion of Merit Medals, a Defense Meritorious Service Medal, four Meritorious Service Medals, two Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medals, and a Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal. So there is uh, 10 medals there, uh, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. She was clearly very successful and, you know, commendable for what she was doing, whatever it was. I mean, we don't have details specifically. Mm -hmm. It's something that's maybe a little bit more private for her. Uh, But yeah, she was... uh, Definitely made a difference. Um, Also tried to look to see if there's any on her Girl Scouting years, but didn't get anything. (laughs) But, you know, no surprise I think in the career that she was in that it was maybe a little bit more private and silent, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool lady. Um, She likes to travel a lot, right? Around the at least around the United States. uh, Did a little bit internationally too. Um, She's a cool woman, from the sounds of it.
0: Definitely sounds like it. Yeah, Um, and I'm sure one of the songs that you know was kind of (laughs) talked about around the Navy would be a canoeing favorite. At least one of my canoeing favorites, which is my paddle. My paddle is a classic campfire song and a classic canoe trip song. Um, so one of the things that uh, we do when we're canoeing and have a long day, like a long day of paddling, is we'll sing songs and tell stories. Um, and one of the great things about songs is that it keeps. Um, you like keeps your spirits up if you know the weather is not great. Um, it can be miserable paddling in like a rain, or through rain. Um, but it helps kind of cheer you up and keep you going. Um, and one of the nice things about songs like "My Paddle" is it's on theme, um, but it also has a really good tempo for paddling. Um and. Um, if you and your canoe partner are both singing the same song, um, it definitely helps keep you guys in sync when paddling, which is always important. Um, and once again, there is nothing I could find on the history and origins of the song other than it is sung a lot with Land of the Silver Birch, which we covered in episode 17. (laughs) It's a
1: good song. I remember learning it pretty early on in terms of, like, I think in school I might have learned it first, or maybe it was Girl Guides. Who knows? Um, but it's a good song that everyone you know catches on to really quickly. Mm-hmm. And like you said, even if you're not paddling, you can sing it in a round with Land of the Silver Birch, and it sounds really cool at campfire if you've got enough yeah. voices going. Um, Definitely. And yeah, a classic. I think. Even outside of Canada, it's a popular one, um, with girl guides, boy scouts, um, at least who sing in the English language, Mm -hmm. um, not so sure about other countries, but yeah, it's a popular one here.
0: Yeah. Um, definitely has been in my head all week, and I'm sure I'll be singing it in my head all of next week while I'm off canoeing. Um, (laughs) so that brings us to the end of another episode um we hope you enjoyed hope you you know want to get out and enjoy some of the beautiful summer weather before it goes away too fast like always make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts um and wherever you find us make sure you give us a five star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying
1: and you can also follow us on social media. Um, we're at Guy's Own. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can keep up to date with the news episodes there, as well as see some podcast news and some behind-the-scenes bits. And Taryn has been tweeting some good stuff, too, so if you're on Twitter, yes. highly recommend go checking that out. You always find really cool things, and I'm always like, yes, this is, this is awesome.
0: Yeah, it's all about who you follow and... found some good people to follow apparently um and as we part we wish you all as always good guiding good guiding
1: day Day is done gone gone. the sun from From the lake from the hills from the sky all is well
0: safely rest peace is night